0: Hello, I'm Anthony Day, and welcome to this week's Sustainable Business, the podcast that brings you up to date on the issues to keep your business sustainable. And this week, fossil fuel or biofuel, either way it's going to cost you more, maybe you should drive a green car. We talk to Paul Clark, the founder of the Green Car Guide. I also talk to Mike Smith, Head of Sustainable Development at Yorkshire Forward, about carbon targets and carbon trading. Possibly even in the pub, over a pint. And finally, a few words about cows. So what is this sustainable business anyway? We have enough to do, don't we, with worrying about competition, suppliers, prices and markets? Well, now with sustainability, you have to be concerned about climate change and the consequences for you and your supply chain. You have to be aware that resources, some quite common raw materials, are becoming scarce and showing signs of running out. There's the issue of pollution as well. The polluter pays more and more and just because you're in a service industry doesn't mean you don't have to take care of what you're doing with your waste. But I want to talk this week about energy security and this of course is the week when oil exceeded $90 a barrel. That's a record so far and there are a number of reasons behind it. $90 a barrel, to put that in context, It rarely rose over $30 a barrel throughout the whole of the last century, so we're looking at some substantial increases. It's put down to the fact partly that there's been tension between Turkey and Iraq, and also, of course, that the dollar is a currency under pressure. It's been weakening over the last few months. Oil itself is a resource which is running out, and as it runs out it gets much more difficult and expensive to extract. J. Robinson West, chairman of oil industry consulting firm PFC Energy, was quoted recently in the New York Times saying, there are no easy barrels left, the only barrels are going to be the tough barrels. So there'll be oil for the foreseeable future, but don't expect it to be cheap. About 30% of the energy which goes into the British economy is oil. Well, What about biofuels I hear you say? On the face of it, biofuels are really attractive because you have biodiesel and bioethanol which are produced either from plants grown especially for the purpose or from organic waste. When you burn a biofuel you release carbon dioxide but when you grow a plant which you are going to use to produce a biofuel that plant absorbs carbon dioxide so on the face of it it's carbon neutral. Sadly that isn't actually the case because you have got to have a number of inputs like fertilisers, like the energy to plough the fields, to plant the crops, to harvest it, process it, refine it and then deliver it to the point of use. So although biofuels can be greener than fossil fuels they aren't carbon neutral. In fact in some cases people say that the inputs that go into biofuels in terms of energy are greater than the energy that actually comes out. The fact that there is opposition to biofuels was brought home this week at the Newark conference, a two-day conference at Newark in Nottingham on biofuels. It started off with the opening session being invaded by protesters who pied, that means pushed a custard pie into the face of, a senior BP executive. BP were one of the sponsors. What are the complaints of the protesters? Unfortunately there is quite a wide range of things that they're concerned about. First of all, if we grow crops for biofuels, then we're using land which could otherwise be used for food. And they argue that there is already an effect on the global price of wheat because the Americans are subsidizing their farmers to grow wheat to be converted into ethanol. It's not just wheat, of course, which is used for biofuels. Palm oil is very popular. And palm oil comes from Indonesia, and in Indonesia they are cutting down the rainforest in order to grow palm oil palms. The rainforest is a major absorber of carbon dioxide. So on the one hand, we are trying to create a green fuel, and on the other hand, we're using very ungreen practices to do so. Then there's sugarcane. In places like Brazil, sugarcane is widely used to produce ethanol. In fact, Brazil leads the world in ethanol production and about 30% of its cars use ethanol. But sugarcane takes the land which would be used for other sorts of agriculture, for food. And in order to be able to grow food, the people of Brazil are cutting down the rainforest to make space. Again, a green fuel and some very ungreen practices in order to create it. There will be a presentation to the United Nations next week urging a moratorium on the production of biofuels for the next five years until the environmental impact of them is fully understood. So we may have fossil fuel, we may have biofuel, whatever we have, it's not going to be cheap. Saving fuel is a good idea. So why not drive a green car? I'm here today at Enviro Energy in Leeds, and with me I have Paul Clark, who's the founder of greencarguide.com. Now I know to a lot of people, a green car is probably an electric car, a small car, a boring car, which doesn't go
1: anywhere. Is it a practical concept for business? Um, A year ago when we started our site, all green cars were very ugly and very slow. In a year's time, it's amazing the progress that's been made. You've got all sorts of manufacturers out there now that are making uh, mainstream cars green. So it's a very, very different sort of car environment than it was a year ago. Nowadays, there are lots and lots of green cars that are very good cars. And every week, more cars are coming out.
0: Okay. So what's the benefit to uh, the businessman? Is he going to be able to pay the same money for a green car or is it going to be something that costs him more but he does it because he thinks that uh, he's got to help the planet?
1: There are a few green cars that have a price premium but if you look at the uh, oil price which reached uh, $88 a barrel this week, the highest oil price ever, then it's not long before petrol prices are going to be following that very closely. Therefore having an economical car makes complete sense and there's a whole load of other reasons in terms of tax reasons uh, to go for a green car. So absolutely without doubt all the figures show it pays for itself for the business user. So a green car means fuel economy, is that all it means? Um, a green car means fuel economy, low emissions, which are obviously very, very closely linked. There's also the life cycle analysis as well, which is very complicated. We probably haven't got time to look into that at the moment, but it certainly is a factor to uh, consider.
0: Right, so the Green Car Guide provides a guide to green cars. Are you completely independent from all the manufacturers? We are absolutely completely independent. Okay, so where should people look if they want to follow up your services?
1: Uh, so our, our website is uh, green-car-guide.com. Uh, and on there is all the latest news and reviews and road tests of green cars and we have a green car guide which tells you the greenest cars in 10 different categories along with uh, write-ups and further information about them Right, well I'll go and have a look at that Paul, thank you very much Thank you Anthony, cheers Well my car
0: is currently doing 59 miles to the gallon Did somebody say something about Prius Envy? Anyway, moving on This week I was at Enviro Energy which is a major exhibition and conference On environment and energy. It takes place at a number of locations around the country and this week it was in Leeds. Mike Smith from Yorkshire Forward gave the keynote speech and I caught up with him and asked him about carbon targets. Right, now I'm with Mike Smith, who is Head of Sustainable Development at Yorkshire Forward, the regional development agency, and he gave the keynote at today's conference. Mike, you started by saying that neither Yorkshire Forward nor the government would meet their targets. Are you concerned about that?
2: Um, I did actually say that the region and the government won't reach carbon reduction targets at present. Yorkshire Forward has actually met its own internal target, which is a 5 million ton reduction in carbon through our own project interventions, and we've reached that. In terms of the region, we actually have a piece of work which demonstrates clearly that the strategies are pulling against each other, and therefore we're not going to hit uh, our regional targets for carbon reduction. It's highly unlikely, almost certain, that the government (laughs) or the nation as a whole will not meet its carbon targets. Now, I am concerned. Carbon is a key issue. It's a critical issue. Um, Whether we set overstretching targets is a question one might ask, but I don't think so. We should have put perhaps more resource
0: and more urgency into securing those targets. Okay. one of the things that you've mentioned is carbon trading at the individual level. So we each have our own carbon allowance and have to live within it. How do you see that working?
2: Technology is actually in place to enable us to credit activities. So I'm not talking about debiting poor environmental behaviour. I'm talking about crediting good environmental behaviour. So just as we'd operate a credit card, we could operate a carbon card, which we receive points on for... environmental behaviour. That might be through local authorities and recycling. It might be through attendance at voluntary events or um, clean-up days or environmental initiatives where we gain carbon credits. It might be um, that we actually get to the point where we can look at our credit allowance and by it not being debited through, let's say, driving, we're able to trade it in the pub over a beer so it's not a punishment for bad behaviour but a credit for good behaviour that's the way i incentivise rather than punish right and in practical terms is it uh, going to be run by the
0: banks or something like that it
2: could be, the three case studies we have one's already folded the other is London uh, sustainability exchange which is only uh, a relatively small scale program and then the let's program is a similar type of approach where you actually trade in your own skills mm-hmm. um, it can be run at a local level, a local authority level, or it could be run using existing technology through banks, through supermarkets and so on and so forth there's a few organizations that have looked at it, there's lots of practical issues which still need to be ironed out, talked through But it's not that far away. It's not an insurmountable issue. And even the government has actually seen this and has even commented on it. Uh, David Miliband in a speech before he moved position did talk about personal
0: carbon trading, personal carbon allowances within five years. Right, well that's going to be a major behavioural change and that's not the only issue within the whole area of sustainability that's going to require behavioural change. How are we going to achieve this behavioural change?
2: There are four real levers um, to behavioural change. One is to raise expectation. Uh, The illustration I give is of my experience recently of driving for three days on the trot at the same time from my new house into the centre of Leeds. Same people, same time, in a traffic jam for an hour. Life does not have to be like that. Life shouldn't be like that. People should have raised expectation. They should have the expectation that they could have a public transport system that was available, which it is actually on that route by bus, was a fit, efficient, safe, clean, and got you to work quite quickly. Now, if more people had that expectation and more people use the bus services, then there wouldn't be these long long, long waits and the queues so there's one example, raise expectation of what, what we can have the other is simply motivation Yeah. You know, looking after the environment is not a passing fad it's something my father's been saying for the last 25 years as I've worked in this sector it's not a passing fad it is actually something which will accrue a certain credibility for an individual that's a motivating factor environmental efficiency saves money in the home, at work etc. That's a motivating factor. Our children, if our children are able to ask us did you help when the world faced a carbon crisis and you said no I carried on with my four trips abroad every year, I had my great big TVs in every room and my guzzling car was applied to my life, that might be a bit embarrassing. So that's another motivating factor. Right.
0: Uh, we were going to talk about... Um, we are going to talk about the Business Resource Efficiency and Waste Programme.
2: Okay. Brew's um, the way in which we are, as an RDA, a regional development agency, looking at the economic factors for behavioural change. So we can't run a behavioural change programme for everybody in the region. That's not our job. We're not here to do that. We're here to affect the economy. But Brew is designed to motivate change in a company to achieve resource efficiency savings. It's estimated that by changing the behavior of staff, you'll accrue 25% of all the potential savings in the business. That is a phenomenal change. And the basic expectation there is that you can save in any business 1% of turnover through environmental efficiency. And of that, 25% 25% is through behavioural change, people. That's why we've got Brew. Brew's there to look at energy and waste and water efficiency and to get people in the companies switched on to taking action. And this
0: is a national initiative, I believe, not just in our region.
2: Every RDA is operating a Brew programme from monies uh, provided by the government through DEFRA. And we have. Expectation that the government is, is finding Brew to be very successful and will maintain the funding. Although we haven't got confirmation yet. Okay. So, in summary, are you optimistic about the future? One always has to be. Um, there's no other um, way of working. You always have got to be expectant for a better society, more efficient society, and one which realises we've got to take some serious action. So, yeah, I, I remain
0: positive and optimistic. Mike Smith thank you very much. This week has been a bad week for cows. Cows? Yes well you see when they eat grass and digest it they produce methane and not only is methane a greenhouse gas it's 23 times as dangerous as carbon dioxide. So the world's herds of cattle are a significant environmental danger. They are adding to the greenhouse gases which are accelerating global warming. In fact, Mike O'Leary, the head of Ryanair, is on record as saying that why don't we kill all the cows and then we can fly as much as we like? Well yes, but then we wouldn't have any milk and we wouldn't have any beef and some of us quite like it. And what about milk? DEFRA seems to have been running a rearguard action this week and putting out denials left and right. What about? Well, the rumour was that they said we would have to give up fresh milk and go for the UHT stuff, you know, the ultra-heat-treated, which lasts for months and months without any refrigeration. And that was the reason. Because if you have fresh milk, it's got to be refrigerated from the point of production to the point of use. All the way from the farm through the processing plant in refrigerated tankers to refrigerated cabinets in supermarkets and then you put it in your fridge. And, of course, all that refrigeration takes energy. And all that energy generally leads to the emission of carbon dioxide. However, they have denied it. So you can go and buy your daily pinter. But it's amazing, isn't it? Wherever you look and wherever you'd never think there is something which is adding to global warming and causing greenhouse gas to be emitted. This has been an update on sustainable business. I'm Antony Day, and in a week's time I'll update you again. In the meantime, you can contact me at antony-day.com. I'm a speaker. Thank you for being a listener.